But right, welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under, Australian Knife Making Podcast. Episode 20, we believe, was a bit of a milestone for us. Um, we have our usual uh, presenters. We've got Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives, and we've got Corin Urquhart uh, from Gamico and Artisan Supplies. How you going, guys? Good, Kev. How are you? I'm going great, mate. Going oh, great. I'm going all right, mate. A little bit wet. I've had a few issues with uh, with this with this rain that's been coming down last weekend. Kind of crazy. A week ago, we were all struggling with, you know, 40 plus or well over 100 degrees for our American listeners. And at the moment, we're sitting quite low and going through some floods. It's pretty Yay. interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all getting an incredible amount of rain. Uh, Coram, what were you saying about the level of your little creek out the back? So yeah, anyone that's been to my place knows there's a little creek uh, runs up behind my behind my place, and that normally sits at um, 0.3 meters, which for the Americans about a foot. And uh, but from about 8 a.m. oh, from lunchtime basically yesterday till uh, to 11 o'clock at night, it rose from 0.3 of a meter, which is a foot, to six meters, which is about 20 feet. So we were pretty close to breaking the banks, and uh, that that would be bad. Yeah, that's crazy. It's uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of refreshing to see the wet stuff come down out of the sky, but um, a little scary when it gets to the stage where you've got to consider packing your bags and getting out of there for risk of floods. Another two metres, we'd have to be moving out of the house. And it was pouring right through to 11 o'clock when it started to ease off. And it was pretty, just pretty exciting. I have water leaking around the shed. Some of my light switches shorted out. I've got to fix out, figure out what's going on there. And we had Joe over yesterday, so in the middle of the pouring rain, we were uh, forging hammers. I forged two three-pound rounding hammers with uh, Joe Brunetta from uh, Goo Ball Knives. So, yeah, we had a pretty good day, but it was pissing down. Remember last month, we packed everything. Like, everybody was in the evacuation mode with the, all the stuff packed up, and now it's the same, but now it's for floods. It's not fire this time. It's, it's floods. Yeah. So interesting to see that twist in a less than a month of time well within a week here <laughs> oh yeah you guys were burning last week so yeah in canberra yeah you were still losing houses last week yeah shit you guys hear the australian reptile park now it's flooded and all the crocodiles and and the alligators now their water has risen so much they think they might have escaped oh wow so so we've had we've had the fires we've had the drought we've had the floods and now we've got We've got the plague with that virus that's running around, and now we've got the pests and vermin with crocodiles escaping from the... <laughs> it's all a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, something's uh, something's going on. Yeah, right. So um, you guys both attended last week uh, the Perth Knife Show. What can you tell us about that? It was at a new venue, and from what I saw on social media, it looked like a pretty cool show. What, what were your thoughts on it, fellas? It was at the Esplanade Hotel where we stayed last time. So it made it so easy to be staying in the same place where the show is held. It gave like the little, almost like a little blade show vibe into it. And the weather was beautiful. The venue was beautiful. I think it was like 26 degrees or something. It was nice. And I was getting messages from my wife where it was 30, uh, 46 degrees where we live. And AC of the car and AC of the house was, they were both gone on the same day. And I was sending her selfies from the beach at 26 degrees. <laughs> she didn't we, like that. <laughs> we saw some photos of uh, 
you and the legendary sausage man strolling on the beach. It was yeah. kind of cute. <laughs> kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. the venue was great. Show was good. And I think the first year we had like 1,900 people, and this year we topped that number by 400 people. I think we were at like 2,300. It's the second biggest night show of the, of Australia so far. What do you think, Corin? Yeah. Oh, look, mate, it was freaking awesome. The new venue, I was skeptical about the venue. First of all, as far as I was concerned, it cost far too much money. And we couldn't have demonstrations there. But to be honest, I thought it worked really well, Mert. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. Yeah, got to give credit to Andrew Smith and the other organisers in the Knife Art Association seeing the television footage as well. Like it, it, it made the Channel 9 morning show with the demos of the Tommy mat cutting and stuff. That was pretty cool to see. And I think one of the other guys did some sharpening. So getting it on mainstream media for a change and not being subjected to the, the usual negative press was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, it was nice. It, it drew a big crowd. Whenever they were doing those either the medieval um, the hema guys or the tatami cutting it was getting a lot of crowd it was excellent it was really excellent well speaking of it drew a big crowd it drew a really really big person into Literally. the venue and some of those photos are pretty funny Mert, let us know who attended given that you and i both from pretty much the same era and enjoying uh basketball yes pretty envious for, for those who don't know like before before being a chef i was a basketball player I was I was about to be a professional basketball player and I played for years and when I realized I was going to be in the minor league or I was going to be just an average bench player in the big league I decided to quit but growing in 90s I watched Bulls Chicago Bulls was everything and I'm I'm, in, I'm looking at my table I'm looking see how many people are coming in all of a sudden you look at the room there's somebody probably like a 50 centimeters taller than everybody it looks like, a, I don't know if you guys know, but it was uh, Luke Longley. So Luke Longley was the first Australian player to play in NBA. And he played for the Chicago Bulls between uh, 1994. Oh, sorry. It, he played in the second stint when uh, Jordan came back. He, he won three rings. And I had watched a documentary about him not long ago. So it was it was a great surprise to see him. And I had a, such a fan moment like, hey, Luke Longley. And I was expecting a more, lot more people that recognized him, but it wasn't. And... <laughs> I saw the post come up on social media. I'm like, no fucking way. That's fucking Luke yeah. Longley. <laughs> and it is Luke Longley. Yeah. And like, I, I took a picture. I took a picture right next to him. I said, look, man, do you mind if I take a picture? I'm a, such a big fan. He's like, yeah, go for it, man. I took a picture. Like, I'm I'm 194. I'm not a small guy. Like, we're at almost same height cap. And he is like, foot, he's almost like foot of woman. He's yeah. 218. Big fucking guy. Okay. Then I posted the picture. And half an hour later, Josh Scott sent me a picture. Van, me and Josh Scott, we took a picture in a blade. It looks the same, but Josh Scott is almost like a foot shorter than me. <laughs> and then Mareko comment on your photo about making him look like a hobbit or something. Yeah. I was like, we should have taken a picture of him with the sausage man. Oh, Both yeah. of them, of them being ginger, look longly, and his mini me or his mini gimli <laughs> would have been like Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> Luke's been talking to me for years about knife making and whatever, and I didn't know who he was. Like, I was like, oh, Luke, Luke Longley, whatever. Put his name down, bought a kiln, bought a grinder, whatever. And then he said, I ring him up sometime, and he's like, oh, no, I've got to go over to the Olympics. And I'm like, I'm coaching or something. And I'm like, oh, oh, you're Luke Longley. You didn't know, did you? <laughs> no, 
No, I didn't. Oops. But then at Perth, I was walking out of the venue. I'd been out. I'd been actually out talking to Jim Steele about barrel knives, and I was walking back in, and this guy walks out. That's like his hair's brushing on the ceiling of the hotel, and I'm like, "Holy fuck!" I said, "You must be Luke." And he's gone, "Yeah." And I said, "I'm Corin from Gamacow." We got talking, and yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Well, I've known him for quite a while, but it was good to sort of put a face to the name. It did hurt my neck. I'd say he's he's a big boy. Oh, yeah, he's not only over seven foot tall, but he is a fucking massive unit. Like, he is big. Well, Kev, do you know, from the rumor I heard, he took a knife-making lesson from Sean McIntyre. <laughs> 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 okay, jokes are about the flow. <laughs> In Sean McIntyre's original shop. So that was basically a three-by-three three shed. Sean McIntyre is a very talented uh, master bladesmith that lives in Australia, and... He's not very tall. His nickname is The Hobbit. I was being nicer. <laughs> he, look, he's not a big boy. He'd probably come up to Luke's belly button, I would think, being polite. We'll get further into my history when we interview me one day, but I broke my back when I was young, and in my recovery, I just had to keep myself busy, so I'd go and do some you know, community courses and do them whatever. And I went down and did, enrolled in this pottery class, went down and, and did this thing, and there was a ex-Cambria Cannons basketballer, Andy Campbell, I believe, probably play for Australia as well. It's the same thing, well over seven foot tall, skinny as a rake, and the lady that was running the class was much shorter than Sean McIntyre, and there was, this mo- there was this moment when Andy had bent down to pick something up off the ground, and the teacher was talking to someone, and she literally turned and took a step and face-planted her face right into his clack of owl. And uh, yeah, we, all, we all had a real big laugh about that. So I, that's... When you talk about Sean and Luke, that's the picture that I get. <laughs> it's just that fucking extremes. That's funny. Well, there, he wasn't the only famous guy that uh, that came because there's uh, yeah. another famous knife maker in Australia as well, which is uh, John Butler from Western Australia, from John Butler Trio. He makes knives, has done for years, and he came through the show as well. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, he was there last year, so it's good to see those guys coming back and supporting the industry. It's really cool. We should uh, see if we can tee him up one year to... Play a little uh, music, little uh, acoustic gig in the corner. Then right. Luke held my knives. It was the first time, like, oh shit, the handles are too small. I'm like, no, it's not. He's fucking giant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need a 180 millimeter handle on your knife. Yeah. You're thinking, like, nah, let me see what I, I had a 280 mil knife. I was like, mate, this is the only thing that might fit you. Although it looks tiny in your hand. Just give a go. <laughs> First time a 280 mil knife's been referred to as a pairing knife. John Butler came up to me and he's like, oh, yeah, I've been watching your videos on the hand drill, you know, friction fire. And he showed me his hands. He's got blisters. He's been trying to start a fire with hand drill. <laughs> <laughs> I had to have a bit of a bit of a chuckle because I've been there. I went home and I made up a set because he's trying to get it done, done with his son. So I made up a little fire drill set for him and his son. And yeah, I pulled 15 seconds on camera to get a coal and i thought oh fuck still got it but i think the secret's always been downward pressure and now i'm fat it's easier <laughs> gravity assist gravity assist yeah oh we, we might, i might start taking that up too now <laughs> no look the show itself we got 2304 people through the doors i think and i'm not mean no offense when i say that's roughly four melbourne shows which is yeah, it's pretty spectacular that's a lot of people uh it's it really was packed on that saturday and and really mert it was busy until three o'clock on sunday yeah it's one of the interesting shows you know like usually you get the saturday rush and a little bit on sunday this is like a 
busy Saturday, busy Sunday. Yeah. Normally we normally we get like fifty percent of Saturday on Sunday at a show in terms of numbers, but it was only twenty percent down on the Sunday. It's it's really quite quite extraordinary how many people came out on the Sunday. So but there you go. Say, Corin, saying that it was twenty percent down, it didn't feel the same because Sunday it didn't get busy till like ten thirty. A lot of people had a big night or something. It, <laughs> I it, did. It, it, it felt the <laughs> same. Like Sunday morning there was nothing, and all of a sudden then you know like a massive flow of people coming in and. I'm off the alcohol after Perth. Oh, mate. One, my next question, obviously, because I didn't make it over, was how the partying going, guys? I got a few. Uh, I got a few messages, drunk private messages from people with uh, shots of beers and uh, lots of smiling faces. And I was like, it's 11 p.m. here, so it's only 8 o'clock p.m. over there. You guys got a long way to go, but it's going to hit you pretty bloody hard. So I put my phone on silent and went to bed. Well, Friday night, we got there on Friday and had to set up like we had eight tables or something. So we spent all day setting up and then it felt like about seven o'clock at night because back here it was seven o'clock at night, but there it was four o'clock and we went and had dinner at the bar and then, um, well, we sort of started drinking then. And then after that, we went to had another dinner at a place called the Monk Restaurant around the corner, which is also a brewery. So we had to try a lot of beer there. And then it was me, Mert and Bruce walking back. And Mert mentioned that he wasn't really a fan of single malt whiskies and well, he didn't know much about them. So we gave him a tour of Scotland at one of the bars. I think that cost me, I don't know how much money that cost me. I'd made friends with the band at the bar. We'd met some guy, top bloke. What was his name that was in the... Jimmy. 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 He disappeared, but he was a top bloke. And if you're listening to this one, Jimmy, you just fucking big thumbs up, mate. It was nice to meet you. I'm sorry that I might have seemed a little bit under the weather. I was just pissed, but that's all right. You kept ordering the shit that's on the top shelf. That's why it was like, oh, oh let's just get okay. the stuff on the very high shelf. I don't know. I don't know why you were, I don't know why you were doing that, Corey. We had a good time at the bar. We made friends with the band who turned up the next day at the fucking knife show. How yeah. cool was that? Did you see him? Yeah, Kiwi Bros came like, oh, yeah, sick Kiwi bro, Bros. like sick knives. I'm like, yeah, man, we told you. <laughs> and of course, we're flashing knives in the bar, just about to get arrested, all drunk and shit. And anyway, we go to the, went back to the bar in the hotel and then Bruce Barnett was there. So we had to have a few rounds at the hotel. I don't know. It felt like it was like two in the morning when we went to bed. So it was probably 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock. The next day, I wasn't too bad, but one of my employees, Phil, he didn't show for quite some time. Apparently, he was a bit under the weather. He had a pretty hard night. and Sack him. Sack him, yeah, fuck. <laughs> Off his head. <laughs> Get him, yeah. Saturday was a blinder of a day. Like There was just so many people coming through, and the room was, was well suited for it. But then, uh, you know, once the show wrapped up on the Saturday, it was back to the bar again you know, as you do. And then they booked out a section of the of the restaurant and then we went down there and I really don't know what happened Saturday night. At some point, I ended up in bed. But with the restaurant, Corin, with the restaurant, we were missing Anki Keefe's speech. Oh, we did miss Anki Keefe's speech. That was pretty spectacular last year. Um, yeah. Anyway, we did go back to the... <laughs> I went back to the bar and I don't know, fucking Saturday night, bit of a write-off. Sunday was, again, busy day. And then Sunday night, Sunday night was perhaps the... The biggest night for me anyway you mert had to fly out but we started drinking at about 4 30 as soon as the show finished we ended up in um little creatures brewery oh. and we just drank like fish from there there was lots of uh beyond and creative man schools and stuff going on and then mert and a few boys had to, had to fly out and then we went back to the bar and we just kept drinking and until the bar closed and then yeah i was i was fucking trashed and i went back to my room 
and I turned on my phone and looked at Instagram and here's Jeff Fader talking about a bit of Tassie Blackwood. I still remember it. And I've typed, oh, Tassie Blackwood, that's as good as a shout out for knife making down under. <laughs> and next minute he's, he's going on about how good we are and we're the best, uh, second best podcast. I don't know about that, Jeff. <laughs> second best, really? And I'm there in a bloody almost comatose. And then I said to him, oh, well, how good's Craig and this fucking song he wrote, Schwabzy? And I don't know if everyone knows Schwabzy. If you follow him on Instagram, <laughs> Schwabzy makes some really nice knives, right? And you really should follow him because the kid's 14 years old, right? And I said in my drunken state, you know, how good's Craig fucking serenading a 14-year-old? Jeff was beside himself. He's like, Schwabzy's 14. I'm like, yeah, fucking oath, mate. So they'll probably drop the Schwabzy thing now. <laughs> Can you imagine Craig's wife like... Honey, what are you doing? Why aren't you coming to bed? I'm writing a song to a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> In Australia. She probably hates it for me. Like, no, it's for the 14-year-old boy. <laughs> I'm trying to win his heart back. That was it. Yeah. I'm just trying to win the heart of a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> oh, okay. But anyway, look, all shout out to Schwabzy. We're not having to go at you, old mate. You're doing a great job. Um, you, just, you just keep doing what you're doing. But... Um, you know, that's all right. We're going to take the piss out of Craig till the cows come home. So, yeah. Oh, mate, when Mert sent through the timestamp for that Knife Talk podcast, and <laughs> I've jumped on there, my neighbours, I'm normally pretty quiet in my workshop. My neighbour came around one day and he's like, are oh, you still doing this full time? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in here every day. He's like, oh, we don't really hear you much. And I said, well, no, you'll only hear me when I'm, I'm forging. And then I, a lot of it's pretty quiet because my workshop's insulated. But that day that I listened to that, my neighbour must have thought I was like stark raven mad. I was laughing so loud. Like I, I literally had um, like boogers coming out my nose because I was laughing so much I was crying over that song. No, and of that course, was funny. Ed. Yeah, so I, I, I both talked to both Mareko and uh, Jeff after that and let them just re rub it in again that it was a 14-year-old that they were serenading. And they're, they're just going, oh, no. <laughs> uh, it is pretty amusing. Yeah, funny stuff. You know, Shrobsy's, Shrobsy's just getting it out there. You know, he's a young fella and he's trying to get his name out and all power to him because he makes some lovely knives for a guy that's running off yeah. basically nothing. He's got fuck all tools and equipment and he's just, he's doing a great job. You know, and he's yeah. actually, his posts on Instagram are quite professional. They're far more professional than I do. He hits me up for a bit of info every now and then. And, you know, I'm happy to help anyone, but I'm particularly happy to give Schwabzy mate a uh, a little bit of advice here and there. And I feel like, you know, well, the sort of the big brother giving the worldly advice. When Arnie was talking to um, Louis and stuff and, you know, Schwarzenegger, oh, anyway, you got to watch uh, Pumping Iron to understand that reference. Um, so, yeah, while you guys were over in Perth, where I technically should have been, but I screwed up with my diary and, and booked a class on that weekend that was paid for by people traveling 10 hours to get here. Canberra was in the midst of an emergency situation with some fires very close by. And I was communicating back and forth with my students for that weekend, just letting them know what was happening. Saying, oh, you know, I've got to give you a heads up. It's smoky, it's stinking hot. And we've just hit, before the last communications was, you know, uh, they're sort of predicting pretty bad situation in Canberra but technically we're far enough away from it to for it not to be an issue and my workshop's completely sealed and concreted and I have all the safety gear to put fires out so they they opted to come down and it was like 43 degrees again on the Saturday forging <laughs> with crazy conditions oh it was hot it's 
I've been blessed or lucky. I, I, I actually don't like saying blessed. I've been lucky that every weekend that I've had a course, even in the warm weather, a cool change has come through. This was the complete opposite. We started early, forged these knives. We were shagged, drank about six litres of water in the day. But man, it, it was it was a solid it was a solid day. And I was actually thinking when I was seeing those pictures of Merton Sausage Man holding hands on the beach. Oh, like, fuck yeah, you. <laughs> I was like, I'd actually like to be in that little threesome with Mert and the sausage. Fucking dickhead. <laughs> but, but yeah, the class went well. Um, Thawa, we took, the we took selfies in the beach, dickhead. Yeah, I know what you're up to. I got the private stuff. Um, oh, Thawa, the Thawa Valley was pretty close to the front line, but we had those DC-10s and other planes flying over here, dropping so much retardant over there. It wasn't funny. I'm pretty sure they were safe for the most part. And, you know, the wind direction changed and the temperature dropped a little bit. And then it went down and troubled some smaller towns in New South Wales, unfortunately for them. So, yeah, my weekend was here, slogging it out, stinking hot. But the guys on my class, we had a great time. It was very funny. The oldest student so far that I've had, Wazza, was was 81 years old. Ambitiously took on doing a big chef knife, but he, he did all right. Uh, I did let him... So he was a young bloke. Yeah, was a young bloke at one stage. Nah, they, they made up some pretty cool knives and, yeah, it was an enjoyable weekend, but i got to admit I was still a bit envious of uh, you guys over in WA. And next time I'll get my shit together in advance, check my diaries and, you know, not book it. After all, I'm only, I'm only the president of the Knife Art Association. You'd think I'd know when my shows are on. <laughs> Mate, your liver will thank you for not being there, trust me. Jesus. Well, I'm thinking that too, actually. I think, though, that from what you were just saying about Miss Nunky Keefe's speech, I, I might have to get something together for the Queensland show. Yeah, just don't be lying on the ground doing snow angels. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> nah, my wife's coming up to the Queensland show this year, so I'll probably be on my best behaviour. Well, speaking of Keith, he wanted a right of reply to, uh, to the bushfire episode. <laughs> So I called him up just before that we recorded this and he's like, nah, I was just fucking with you. But anyway, there you go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, he's a funny boy, our Keith. But he's, yeah, he's been busy and got some stuff going on. So their driveway pretty much getting washed away and trees falling down everywhere because of all the, you know, you, first of all, you've got the fires and all the trees are all damaged and then you've got wind and rain knocking them all over. So, yeah, I hope you know, they're doing all right. Well, I, was, I was waiting <laughs> to hear from him. I was waiting to hear his rebuttal over our... Um, dramatic interpretation of his firefighting efforts. <laughs> well, so was I. I was like, what's he going to say? Let's put him yeah. on. Oi, oi, Keith, if you're listening, if you're listening, mate, come on, get on, mate. Tell us about it. Anyway, if you don't know Keith Flutter, look him up. Great guy. Uh, look him up on Instagram. And, and particularly, if you want to have a bit of a chuckle, hashtag Unky Keith. The guy's always up for a laugh and you'll have a laugh. Yeah, he's good value. So um, that sounds like a pretty good weekend. Uh, our next show, like I said, is the Queensland show, which is in Ipswich. Same thing, new venue. So hopefully um, not wanting to diminish Perth's awesome effort of 2,300 people. We want to we see Queensland knock that out of the park. We want 2,500 20, as a minimum. Let's get there, folks. We could do it. Queensland's big. You love knives. Come along to the show. Get in, have a look. Yeah, got to do it. The other thing that happened to me on the weekend, I had a fucking, I don't know, a shop injury. And I wasn't drunk. Big bruise above the left eye. I thought that was just the shape of your head. 
I just thought it was the pixelated screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, forging with, uh, as I say, Joe Brunetta came down from Google Knives and um, he wanted a hammer. So I said, he said, oh, I've got to get someone to make me a hammer. I said, well, fuck, go down and make it yourself, you lazy fuck. And, he, you know, he works for me. So <laughs> he, he saw the, saw the humour and he came down to my place on the weekend. And, um, yeah, we knocked up a couple of rounding hammers together. But I got a punch stuck and I was you know how it gets you know you, you get it stuck and you're like okay no worries so you put it under the hammer and you do a couple of slogs on the cheeks and you do a couple of slogs on the faces and still not coming out and then it gets to that point where you just know it's getting hot in there and if you don't get it out soon it's going to be a problem so i'm pounding the fucker on the anvil um using the tong over the over the over the hammer um i don't know if people are aware of that but if you get a punch stuck in a hammer right bring your tongs up over the top of the billet push down lifting your punch up and then smash it on the anvil as hard as you can a couple of times so i'm belting the fucking thing on the anvil and the next minute the fucking punch come loose um which it had upset slightly in the job and um it come loose and with such like almost a pop and flew up and hit me in the head so i got a nice little bruise and cut above my eye <laughs> anyway you get that yeah you do but yeah the hammers turned out pretty good you can see them on instagram they came up all right yeah i saw them on instagram they look cool i might have to come up and do a hammer making course because I'll, I'll finish it by the look of it rather than the barrel making mate i can knock up a hammer in they, they fucking take hardly any time at all so particularly like me like well yesterday me and joe were neither of us particularly wanted to strike so um i did most of it under the power hammer yeah. so yeah no they come up pretty quick and you know the heat treat everything's pretty 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 straightforward on a hammer so yeah no no you should should come up with you have you made your own hammers before no the only hammer i've made um was with the angry wombat oh troy <laughs> troy <Yeah. laughs> um at iron when i went up there and we made a hammer and i said to him i wanted a um like you know a two pound dog's head and we ended up making about an eight pound fucking sledge <laughs> so because that's... the piece of yeah, that's it, not surprising if you know Troy <laughs> that that shit would happen. But it was fun. Like we did my same thing, most of it under the power hammer. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Like I, you know, I, I tell people I'm a bladesmith, not a blacksmith. I haven't made many tools, but that was good fun. And it's in my it's in my workshop hammer rack now. Right, guys, I tried to make a hammer with a friend of mine two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Cle it clearly reminded me. I'm nowhere near fucking black blacksmith. I had a punch stuck, so I got a little weight. I got like a one kilo weight with a tiny punch stuck in it. That just push aside. I was smiling when you explained how the punch stuck, and we were trying to strike. The shit was going all over, and <laughs> it's it's it sounds easy. It looks easy. Like oh, it looks easy on the YouTube videos. Yeah, I, I sucked at it. I'm not gonna even post a picture. We we made an X. Because it started as a hammer. Like, yeah, let's. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, did it turn into a 240 Gyoto? <laughs> no, it turned into a Danish fucking war axe, and I'm like, <laughs> so there's a reason. There's a reason I have not posted a single picture. Well, I just love those that Brian Brazil style rounding hammer, which they say Brian Brazil style, but I actually have Kev. You might have seen it at my place. I have my great grandfather's rounding hammer which is a fucking looks the same right it's um yeah it's got the same faces it's, and he that would date back to very early 1900 so but but it's the one that brian brazil is pretty famous for and that um um uh, i did the course with alex Steele. remember that when he came out oh four or five years yeah. ago 
before he started doing knife making videos it was at that course that we me and ewan said fuck blacksmithing do knife making and that's uh we we can credit his success basically <laughs> yeah the obsession now and you're getting any loyal any royalties for it nah, no no nothing no <laughs> <laughs> so no that's that's okay though. welcome that's... to my channel fuck you corin <laughs> i don't think i've ever even had a shout out actually it's um i talked to him a fair bit but I, oh I, come on i know Alvin. i've had a bit of a cry I, I can't imagine him directing anybody to a channel as unprofessional as mine so i, I probably respect that ah well he started somewhere didn't he yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, and all power to him. Yeah. It was a nut shot at uh, Brian yeah. Brazil's uh, place that made him famous. Yeah. Yeah, where he awesome. hit himself in the nuts with a sledgehammer handle. Oh, yeah, we've watched that over and over. No, I we? can Everyone's watch that till the cows over. come home. Sorry, Alec, but uh, that is one of your best videos. So, there we yeah, go. Good. So, yeah, so, you know, we, we sort of broached on one of the things we're going to talk about next there. Um which is a bit of history in knife making. When you mentioned your grandfather's hammer back in the early 1900s, um, the knife making scene in Australia, well, which we're going to look at was uh, a touch later than that, but we're going to start introducing a bit of um, content uh, for the history of knife making. Corin, you can let us know, um, I guess, where this information, where this history sort of stuff's coming from and, so people, and what you want to talk about. people might have seen my post on social media on Facebook last night where I put up a whole bunch of photos of pictures that were taken in the 1990s of famous Australian makers. And it was kind of like, um, you know, guess who? It was quite surprising how hard it was for people to recognise them. But once you know who they are, you, you just have a bit of a quiet chuckle. And, you know, they look a lot older now, obviously. But I was just trying to make the point that knife making in Australia has been around for, well since not long after the first fleet. And I've recently acquired a whole bunch of books by um, Mr. Keith Spencer, who basically was the lead historian on the, uh, on the Australian knife industry. Some people will remember Keith, who were around in the days of the Australian knife collectors and so forth. So I've got a little piece here I thought we might read, which is um, from Edgemasters, 50 Australian Knife Stories by Keith Spencer. He was a monthly knife columnist for the Australian Shooters Journal and he published this book compiling stories that he'd written for that magazine between 1988 and 1998, which is, you know, 20 to 30 years ago. And in going through it, I was trying to find something on the original Perth show, but I didn't, didn't succeed in that. What I did find, though, was some really interesting information about the first Sydney show. Kev, you'll find this amusing being the president of the Knife Art Association. I wasn't aware that there was a KAA before us. And it was the Knife Makers Association of Australia. And that's the association that ran the first Sydney show back in 1995. Hmm, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? I thought so. I had a bit of a laugh to the point where I actually got on the phone oh, on Facebook and contacted the founder of that association and had a chat. He was also the first guy to open a custom knife shop in Australia down in Janali, a guy by the name of Peter Bennett. So if uh, we're ready to go, guys, I'll read this. This article is entitled, Sydney Makers Cut Loose, and the date was December 1995. Early in October, I stole a few days from a busy work schedule to spend some time in Sydney. The inaugural Sydney Custom Knife Show, arranged by the newly formed Knife Makers Association of Australia, New South Wales branch. It was a modest but successful and historic event 
that has illuminated the path for bigger and better handcrafted knife shows in the nation's most vibrant city. Held in a showroom on Parramatta Road, Lidcombe, I'm going to stop there for a second and point out that I'm currently sitting on pa in Parramatta Road at Auburn, just the next suburb, which is where we work. So it's quite strange for me that it was so close to here. It, apparently that showroom's no longer there. But anyway, I'll, back to the story. Kindly provided for the occasion by well-known knife collector Peter Vandermeer, the show featured the work of 14 makers, including John Kilby, interstate participant from Victoria. Although it was promoted on a shoestring budget, as one can imagine being the first pure knife maker's show held in Sydney, the turnstile steadily rotated with the entrance of collectors who purchased close to 50 items, not including orders taken for supply at a later date. It was pleasing to see three distinct levels of knife styles and quality, in some cases all on a single display. There were working knives at very affordable prices the $250 to $450 price bracket that one could choose to use or keep in the collectibles cabinet. And art and fantasy types for the speculative collector seeking spectacular one-of-a-kind showpieces. Summarising the tables at a glance, for space here doesn't allow for a detailed coverage of all the work exhibited for sale, it was evident there was something for every collector to ponder over. The boys from Bega, Mike Peterson and Ginny Tanks offered an interesting array of forged working knives, concentrating on the user market rather than the collector or upmarket knives. Still, there was some darn good Damascus among their edge tools. Keith Flutter and Stu Burdett opted to offer knife blanks and kits to attract the eye of the customizers, correctly calculating that most collectors who might have trouble designing blades are nevertheless keen to have a fiddle by customizing ready-made and particularly completed knife blanks. Glenn Waters, virtually an unknown maker at the moment. How about that, fellas? I'm going to stop there, eh? Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Glenn Waters knives now sell for like upwards of ten thousand US dollars. So, <laughs> and Colin, the the picture you sent, he looks so young, doesn't he? What his cute little fella, isn't he? He, he looks so young. He has a hair. <laughs> yeah, he's good. You can't tell it's like darker. We love Glenn Waters. Awesome, talented guy. Now lives in Japan. Anyway, back to it. Glenn Waters, virtually an unknown maker at the moment, presented a range of uniquely designed and beautifully fashioned pieces. Glenn has just returned from several years spent in Japan, where he is best known for his fine work. It won't take long for him to cultivate a favourable reputation back home in Australia. Old hands Peter Brown and Joe Zemitas, former Guild presidents, set high standards with their work. Peter's Kyber sword was something to behold, a specialised version of a traditional blade with intricate firework on the length of its back. Joe's How Does He Do It? Damascus is captivating, and Jolanta Zemitis continues to grace certain items with scrimmed images, as well as offering her own range of scrimshawed giftware. Tim Anson has an expanded range of innovative axes, Tim still goes to shows, so for the listeners out there, just uh, breaking in again. So you'll see Tim at the Sydney Knife Show every so often. He had a stroke a few years ago, but he's coming good. So Tim's axes, right, which have proved to be popular sellers since he began experimenting with throwing hawks a couple of years ago. Alongside Tim, Queen Bean maker Branko Giljevec, and I probably just abused his name, but uh, stop, traffic, uh, stop the traffic with sandbar custom folders and fixed blades blades a selection of delightfully finished heavy duty workers for the discerning user 
The outdoor survivalists were given something to think about with the partially completed bushcraft knife display on Steve McIntosh's table. A sliding slab on a pivot pin revealed a tang with sections cut out to accommodate various small survival components, a concept designed to compete with the practical hollowed handle which does not have the same tang strength. Oh, well, back about this time, I think all of us had that hollow handle Rambo knife, didn't they? A highlight of the show was the creative contributions of Paul Maffey, a knife maker who has come a long way in a short space of time. Paul's fantasy swords stopped everyone in their tracks. I'm going to stop here and do a shout out for whoever Paul Maffey was. I, the name rings bells with me. The face looks familiar and I have no idea who he is, but this guy was making some pretty out there shit. I mean, really, I've got a photo here in the book and if you want to see the photo... The book's called Edgemaster, 50 Australian Knife Stories. You'll have to get that. I'm... Seriously, I would love to know what he's doing now, if he's still making, and uh, a little bit more about him. But anyway, there we go. Admittedly, fantasy edgeware is a small market to cater for in this country, but you would need to travel to America to see anything better. You would pay considerably more for the privilege of owning anything of comparable quality and construction at the moment. Paul's swords are a sound investment for speculative collectors. I suggest such collectors move swiftly while the opportunity avails itself. I would love to see one of those in person. So if anyone did move swiftly and buy a Paul Maffey sword, by all means, get in touch. That'd be great. Anyway, I fell victim, however, to a Wayne Barrett stiletto, which is to say I purchased a faithfully reproduced replica of a gunner's knife, Stiletti de Bombardier or Italian Fusetti, a knife carried by cannoneers in the late 17th and 18th centuries. Obviously, one can never get to own an original, so acquiring a carefully researched, skillfully crafted replica is the next best thing. Sometimes you see things you've just got to have, and then you eat baked beans for a month or two. Now, that's so true, isn't it? A Wayne Barrett stiletto, which I just did at the last Sydney show. I dropped some money on a Wayne Barrett stiletto barrel knife. So I did the same thing. I was just, you know, nothing really changes over the years. <laughs> After the show, I had the privilege of chairing the first meeting of the Knife Makers Association of Australia to facilitate the election of office bearers, Peter Bennett, who organised the show where he was elected president and his wife, Narelle, the secretary treasurer. Wayne Barrett was elected Vice President and Keith Flatter as Publicity Officer. Although primarily structured to serve the interests of New South Wales knife makers and collectors, the KAA is open for nationwide membership. Interested people may contact Narelle through this column. Members will receive newsletters apprising them of KAA activities. The pictures that go with the article, I'll just give you as a brief description. The first is a, a chap looking over a table and assessing a knife, and it's New South Wales... Welshman Stu Burdett makes a point at his show table. Stu's knife-making brother Alan from Western Australia also features in this publication. Ornate lockback folders by Glenn Waters of New South Wales, now an award-winning knife-maker residing in Japan. We've got Tim Anson with a couple of axes, and the axes look really pretty cool. One's a double bit, uh, and the other one's like a bearded uh, Viking axe. So just like Mert's hammer. Yeah, just like Mert's hammer. <laughs> Can't help himself put a cutting edge on it. Fantasy sword maker Paul Maffey, and again, a shout out to Paul. I know that face and that name, and buggered if I can figure out how. So, if someone can just kick me in the head and tell me how, that'd be great. And he's apparently developed a sound export market, and you can see why when you see the picture. They're, they are fantasy swords, but 
you know, they're, they're not, well, they're probably banned now, but anyway, whatever. A drop point hunter from John Kilby in Victoria, engraved by Roger Keagle, is a nice little knife as well, put together with a couple of uh, loveless bolts and quite a nice little piece with an engraving on the guard. So there you go. That's a little bit of an article on uh, the first Sydney Knife Show. And I just found that quite amusing because in 2014, 19 years after that, we ran the Sydney Knife Show again. There was actually three knife shows in Sydney before, and I never knew that. So there you go. I spoke to uh, Peter Bennett and found out about that. And it was funny because Peter... Peter was like, oh, well, do you, you'd know a few people. And he mentioned some names and I knew them. And one of them was Alastair Phillips. And then I spoke to Alastair and said I'd spoken to Peter Bennett. And Alastair makes folders down in Canberra. And he's a young bloke. And he showed me a copy of a letter from the late 80s, early 90s yeah. that he had received from Peter Bennett in response to some him asking inquiries on how to make knives and things. So, yeah, I never knew the guy. But, yeah, it's, it's been around for a long time. So there you go. There you go. That's pretty cool. Like I said, you know, not many people would have realised that there was a history dating back that far um, with the Sydney shows or even really, like I said, with with world-renowned makers popping up on the scene at that stage. And it's pretty interesting that, you know, I don't know all the names in that article and if anyone does um, and put them in touch with us, it would be great to get some, uh, some feedback on those times and learn more about the history of Australian knife making. But, yeah, it's pretty interesting that some of those names are still around today. We have, you know, Glenn Waters, Keith Flutter, Wayne Barrett, all having a, a Tim Anson, uh, all, all around and still participating in shows to this day. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I would love to see some of that earlier work, but I'm sure the younger listeners will be trying to Google their name or, like, looking for their Instagram accounts. <laughs> Guys, don't, don't bother. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah. Other than the, Keith has it. Alistair Phillips has it. Glenn Waters obviously has it. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen his work, and if you live on the rock or something, please check his work out. And incredible pieces. But I would love to see those, those knives mentioned in the article. Yeah, well, Paul Maffey, that's the one that's got me curious because it's just, it's eating at me, and I should know, and I don't. And he just looks familiar. But anyway, look, um, a big shout out there to Keith Spencer who passed away a few years ago, and. Um, you know, was instrumental in, in re- recording the Australian knife history. He went to all the shows and this, this book, Edgemaster, if you can get a copy of it, uh, can just super interesting book. <clears throat> Even like articles on the original Crocodile Dundee knife. Uh, like, you know, if people like this, give us a review, tell us you liked it and we maybe we can include some more articles. I spoke to Joan and Darren Spencer at Perth and they were both happy for us to, um, you know, to use this information properly referenced and and to shout out these works so that's that's uh that's the basis on which i do it and by the way be new joan doing great she's just remarried and uh, moved back to perth and um yeah basically starting a life again and but she's yeah, yeah look just the same joan as always really uh, positive and happy and great knowledge of knives and, and knife making so that was really cool good to meet her again yeah nice cool. One of the things that we get asked about a little bit, and it kind of well, it relates to what we've just been talking about, um, especially with the number of shows that we're getting underway now, is knife show preparation. And I'm pretty sure we've touched on it before, leading into knife shows, because I know for a fact as makers, Mert and I, every time we come leading into a show, we probably make up a little set of rules in our own heads about um, you know cut off times for doing things and. You know, not getting stressed out, 
only making X many knives, not starting any projects two days out and all that sort of stuff. But it never really seems to to work that way. Um, not on my my sort of side of things anyway. Um, but yeah, talking about I guess knife show preparation for people, especially the guys that you know, there's not many full time makers around at the moment. The guys that are doing it as a hobby that want to get into a knife show, you know, my my advice is plan well ahead. You know, set out a decent range of products so you're covering a wider market than say, for example, just producing one style of knife. And when you go to knife shows, or if you go to a knife show first to have a bit of bit of a look, you'll see that the majority of people have a fa fairly varied group of knives available for people. And it's, you know, it's not that you spread yourself thin, it's that you just want to sort of appeal to a wider market. So yeah, like plan ahead, try and make stuff that's a, a, that's a, a good quality. You know, don't skip things just to get shit done. You know, don't try and put yourself under too much pressure like we tend to do where you're three o'clock in the morning before you're about to travel off, you're still stitching sheets or waiting for glue to dry on a handle. You know, in terms of stuff that you might want to take, think about the, the setup for your table. If you want it to look a certain way, you might need to organize, you know, tablecloths or printed media, sign signage on there, business cards, you know, pricing sort of stuff is, you know, fairly varied between people. My philosophy on that has changed a number of times over the years. And I, I do a minimalist thing now where I have the price of my knife in front of it or price of a group of knives in front of it. And then I, I talk to people that are interested about the materials and stuff. Used to do it a way that many people do now, whereas you have your price, still used, materials used on a, on a big card in front of your knives. Try, try and set up in a way that puts you across as a bit of an appealing visual thing for drawing people to your table. And then one of the key ones, some of the people that you mentioned in that history won't go into who exactly, but I've, I've seen one or two of those people at shows and they've not displayed a lot of interest in me as a customer or me as a person to talk to. So be attentive and, and you know, talk to people, include them in what you're doing and make them feel like they've, they've come to a knife show, not only to see knives, but be a part of that whole culture as well. So... Make sure you've also got a means of taking payment. We do have issues, I guess, with the with the payment providers, third-party payment providers, with regards to the perception that knives are weapons rather than tools. And you know, PayPal is is what I use. It's pretty good. Um, Square, I think, doesn't like knives, so you might find issues on that. So it gets a little bit harder. It shows to take card payments with the fact that our third-party providers are a little bit uneducated. <clears throat> but, you know, just, yeah, plan ahead, think it out, set up. I always do a dry run at home with my show stuff, so I set up my table with my knives. I'll take some off the table. I go, I don't think that'll be well suited there, or I'll save it for the next show. Yeah. What about you, Mert? What's your angle for setting up the show prep? I think for setting up show, the, the best thing happened to me was before exhibiting at the Sydney Night Show, I attended the Sydney Night Show as a as a guest. I was just looking and I was watching, looking at the knives, and I came to your table as well, if you remember, Kev. I do, and yes. Yeah, it's it's good to like get an idea of what knife show should be. Then it's easier for you to plan, okay? So you can plan about layout. For example, 
let's say you're making rustic knives, let's say you're making rustic hunting style knives, you're better off having a, like a some kind of leather or some kind of like a sheepskin or something that's going to look better versus having like a white clean cloth or like a plastic kind of shelving. That's that that's not going to look that's not going to go with the same theme, right? So like trying to have a theme, trying to see like whatever knives you're making or whatever your tools you're making, like point, uh, put them in a way that it's going to look nice. It's going to present. So with the, for example, I make kitchen knives. I put them, I lay them in a way. If somebody is coming by, they can just grab the handle, like handle or the knife should scream, like come touch me and like hold me versus pointing in a reverse way. If you point them in a way that the blade is pointing at them, it's going to make them uncomfortable trying to reach over the blade, trying to get him. Okay. Again, pricing is another issue. Uh, pricing is another factor. Like you can, you don't want to be, you don't want to be like pricing very high, or you don't want to have like something with the same. You might have like a high grade stuff, middle grade stuff, as you said. But again, the the reason you and I can we find ourselves with the last minute rushes, we are full time knife makers. This is our income. We have to. With a lot of the part time makers, it's not the case. It's just extra income. I will say like if you're if you're doing this for part-time, if you think about you should bring 10 knives, I think you should make six, but bring the six best knives you can bring. Yes, and at most of the knife shows, well, pretty much all the knife shows we run now, you can also get a half table and share with another maker. So yep. if, if you're worried about having a very sparse-looking table with six knives or the cost associated with getting a full table, try and tee up with another maker through social media or whatever, if they're your friend, um, and share a table together. But, you know, same sort of thing I, I feel with that is you want to still, if you're on a half table, you still want to have uh, a divide between your person's and the other person's work with how yeah. you set your table up. So you've got to look at, you know, marketing is a is a key thing. Some do it well, some I think need work. I'm not preaching that I do anything particularly great, but, you know, I, I pick an idea I run with it. I've changed my ideas a number of times as I've seen, uh, you know, similar sort of setups occur. I think, okay, well, power to them. You know, people are like what I've done or they like that sort of style. So then, but then I'll, I'll change my mind and go, okay, I'm going to try a slightly different approach to how I set my table up. But the whole thing is, it's got to be done in a way that will draw people over. Um, yeah. Even things like banners, like you've got that monstrous um you know collapsible banner thing which really yes. makes you stand out from the crowd i've got one of the ones from what's the mob online to do the business cards and stuff just had a mental blank with them yeah i use them as well yeah anyway everyone knows who i'm talking about <laughs> um, and you go online and you can put your submit your artwork and get a banner made up and they're not really that much money like you know not much money if you want to do a setup that looks reasonably professional you've got to invest in it. Spend a bit of money to make yourself stand out from the rest. My tip is to um, prepare yourself. Like, I'm a salesman, all right? So I'm, I'm keen to sell. That's what I do as a job. But you can't always get the sale, and there's no good being pushy about things. You've explained to the customer who you are, what you do, explained to them how you make your knives and why your knives are different to other people's and, and, and what differentiates you as a knife maker and, and all of that. And after that, if you haven't made the sale... That's fine, but direct them to your social media. Encourage them. You have a card printed that has your social media channels on it uh, so that they can 
and just encourage them to get straight on their phone and follow you on Instagram and have a look at what you do. Follow you on Facebook or whatever. Once you've got them following your channel, they'll remember who you are and every sales post or every post that informative post that you put up in future will drive them to think about that conversation they had with you and you know next year they might be a customer they might think you're a total idiot but they might be a customer next year so it's it's uh something to do yeah that's a really valid point because i've met some people at the shows and we've just talked about yeah they're obviously there to look at your knives but we've ended up talking about stuff that's not even remotely related to a knife sale or a knife and then like i said they take your card they've got your details I've had those people contact me, in some cases, months and months after a show, say, oh, yeah, g'day, I caught up with you at the Sydney show. Um, and yeah, I'm interested in doing, for me, for example, because I run the classes, oh, I really like the um, the idea of doing a class. And then, you know, six months on, someone's now taken the plunge to try and book in for a class. Or they'll go, oh, there was a nice snipe. It was a Skinner, blah, blah, blah. And you try and rack your brain or hopefully they'll take the photo and then you get up with an order. Can you make me one of these? And in, and in some cases, the harsh reality is three months later, especially with people like myself that aren't overtly into marketing outside of shows, um, I still might have that knife sitting in my, my knife room and I can literally say to them, oh yeah, I, I haven't advertised that, so it's still here. And you, know, you gain sales and you gain uh customers after the fact and i've had people that you know i've met at shows um that are you know wanting to do knife making they don't come and do a course but i'll give them a bit of a hand with ideas and where to get stuff namely gamico or artisan supplies and and they it's really cool seeing them send through a photo going oh, i finally made a knife and they send through a photo they ask for your critiquing and you, you watch them develop and it's all come from a five minute conversation at a show yeah, no, it's 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 a it's just the way it is, mate. You've got to build those relationships, and yeah, if you get them to follow you, then uh, it'll come through. Your post will come through on their feed, and if you can just encourage them to do that, then you've come a long way, in in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with people that sort of ask about, you get a lot of the times with people going, and I know there was a recent, I can't remember, there was a recent thing about how much can I make at a show. Yeah, guys, to be honest with you. Go, go to a show with a view that you're going to catch up with your mates, have a few drinks and have a good time. And any sale that you make is a bonus. Like seriously, if you cover your costs, sometimes if you cover your costs at a show, you're, you're lucky to do that. Sometimes you'll walk out of a show with enough money to go and buy a new grinder or something, you know? So it's really up and down. There's no static um, sort of thing to say. There's, there's nothing to say you will make X amount of dollars from a show. We've all experienced it. You got to have realistic, really realistic expectations. Um, if yeah, you should be, you should be aiming to do well, um, but you've got to have realistic expectations. You may not sell anything, and that's just the way it is. Peter Del Rasso has a good way of putting it. Don't go to the show with just apples, because for sure everyone will want oranges. Make sure you've got a range of products on your table that'll interest a range of markets, and um, <clears throat> but most importantly. The expectation should be to be in front of a lot of people telling them about who you are and what you do. A lot of people that may not know anything about knife yeah. making and knives and, and anything in general. Um, you, 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 that's the expectation. And if, you, if that's what you're there for, you're going to have a great show. The sales will flow on from you talking about your products and from you being like positive and, and having products that are priced correctly. 
for, for who you are and your experience. Absolutely. And don't be discouraged. If you have a bad show, don't be discouraged. Like you might have a bad Saturday. But just don't be discouraged. Don't be sitting and pouting and not being happy. Just engage. Sometimes like having a bad show is an also good experience because you get to compare your work to the other guys and how, how your products are standing in the market. I've had some great conversations with people uh, where they've said, I had a terrible show, didn't sell anything. And in the three weeks afterwards, I sold 12 knives and, a, and two courses that just didn't happen at the show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hot and cold. Like, so I think the last Sydney show, maybe it was the one before I sold like two knives in the first five minutes of the doors opening and then nothing all day for Saturday. But I talked to a truckload of people and then Sunday I had, which is for me normally day two, I generally find of a show tends to be the slower one. Um, on the Sunday, I had so many people come back to buy a knife that they'd seen. So it's like, you go, oh, cool. There's more beer money. <laughs> Edit that out and beer money. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, sorry, whiskey money. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, what, what, what shows do for the industry can't be discounted yeah. either because we get, because of the shows, people put all their money together. It might sound expensive, four or $500 for a table might feel like it's an expensive thing. But when you're buying that from the Knife Art Association uh, at one of their events, you can rest assured that that money is getting poured back into advertising. And, you know, we're on the radio, TV, the whole bit, wherever we can, that money's going back into, into advertising. And in doing so, it's building the Australian... Uh, Australians awareness of custom knives so more and more people are coming to shows we're having increases every year of a minimum of 10% we hit 20% increase at Perth and you know with the with the financial ability that comes from people attending shows we can do that otherwise it's uh, it's it's just the same people fighting over the same market uh, more people fighting over the same market and that's not going to win for anyone so we need to build our market and that's where the shows come in yeah absolutely it was funny when you were talking about the history of that first Sydney show, and they were they were referring to a modest budget to get the, the show shoestring running, budget. shoestring yeah. budget. Yeah. And I'm thinking, look, I'm not going to go into figures, but being a part of the committee and stuff with the Knife Art Association, um, as you said, Corin, that money that we're getting into these shows for tables and stuff is to provide people with the best opportunity. We we reinvest that money into advertising, uh, you know, better events, better locations. And, you know, overall, a bigger chance for people to get their, um, their self in front of a, a bigger audience of people. So, you know, you got to take that into consideration. You know, you, you kind of, that's kind of the, you get what you pay for. Yeah, no, you definitely do. You definitely do. And that's the whole industry benefits. So it's, it's good. It's good to see that, um, that it's happening. And they, back in the 90s, they started up and they ran three shows. The Knife Art Association has run... The first Sydney show in 2014, we missed 15. We did 16, 17, 18, 19. So, you know, 20 coming up. And now, of course, we've expanded to uh, Perth and Brisbane. And next year we'll be, or oh, this year, we'll be, doing November, we'll be doing the Adelaide show in November. Adelaide. So it just yeah. keeps growing and growing. And it does it on the back of a lot of people who support what we're doing. So, yeah, we really appreciate that. Absolutely. But what about what about all the punters that are listening to this, Kev, that have 
have never been to a knife show and don't know what it's all about and oh. maybe don't know what the unwritten rules or maybe the unspoken rules are or maybe they just don't understand why knife makers are glaring at them <laughs> let's have a let's have a little bit of a session on knife show etiquette yes. eh? i think you know the the rule one you know the first rule like don't be a dick i think that applies yeah. to everything in knife shows as well yeah that that, that so, rule is what i've based my son's upbringing on is don't be a dick because everything bad follows that one simple term don't be a dick. Um, there we go. So we've covered knife yeah, show etiquette. Knife show etiquette. Don't be a dick. <laughs> no, you know, in one way, you know, we have a laugh about it, but honestly, don't come to a knife show and, and be that person that stands out for the wrong reasons. Don't be, don't be the bloke that, um, you know, when when people see. I tell you for a fact, I don't remember people's names very well, but I remember faces, and I associate yeah. those faces with with situations, and I know for a fact there's two or three people that attend shows regularly that I, I, I find myself having a little bit of a clench of the teeth when they when I see them coming up because the way they conduct themselves is not really good for the show environment that we're in. So when we refer to knife show etiquette, um, you know, it's it's it encompasses a whole lot of things. So if you're coming to a show as a knife maker, uh, sorry, as a punter to check out knives or even as a knife maker, um, you know, consider that we've invested a lot of our time, effort, money, um, social life, family life, sacrificed a whole lot of that, and and respect respect what we're presenting in front of you. We may have a new maker that's work, you know, doesn't look as flash as the guy next to him, but I guarantee you that poor bloke's poured himself into it. Um, so if you're coming along, and one of the first things we have is if you're coming along to a table and you want to um, pick up one of the knives, Ask the ask the person at the table, ask the knife maker or the seller, is it okay if I pick this knife up? Because I guarantee you, it would almost be a foolish seller that would say, no, you can't hold that knife. We'll say, my general thing is, yeah, mate, sure, pick it up. Thanks for asking. Because at least then you know that that person's holding one of your knives. Um, they may have liked it enough to be interested to pick it up and see how it feels. And if then you can sort of, work on potentially getting a sale or you can keep an eye on it or you know that someone's picked it up and wiped their fingers down your carbon steel blade and you need to give that knife a quick clean when they leave the funniest one i ever seen was when i was trying to talk kyle royer to come out to the symposium which he'll be out for next month um and i'm at blade show in front of him and some kid just comes up between us and picks up his fifty thousand us dollar sword takes it out into the middle of the aisle and starts swinging it around like a fucking lightsaber hero. And, and, and it was pretty much the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen anyone. I wouldn't have even asked to touch the fucking thing. My, my motto is if I can't afford it, I don't want to touch it. And <laughs> there we go. When I was at Blade Show for the first time, I had Rodrigo Sofredo opposite me. He had two knives on his table and I went over for a look. And Rodrigo's a nice guy, and he's like, "Here, pick them up, pick them up." And I'm like, my hands were firmly embedded in my pockets, and I said the same thing to him. I said, "Man, I, I I can't afford it if I do something to it, and I'm happy to lean in and have a look." Um, you know, so it, it it's not even really a pricing thing, but if you're at someone's table, um, especially looking, we get busy periods, man. Like, if I'm talking about um, like got interested parties for courses, I'm talking about courses. I'll end up with a little group of people around um, and then people looking at the table and it's like, have a look and, you know, if someone's behind you and, you know, they're not trying to barge their way in, 
also take take into account, you know, if you're standing in front of a table talking to someone about whatever it is, be aware, spatially aware that, you know, that guy that's at that table might have a potential customer standing behind you. So don't stand in the middle of the table uh, asking about the steel that he's used for a knife. Move to one side and, um, you know, let, let the potential buyers come in and have a look. I, I like it when people do that. They'll move aside and I'll say, oh, yeah, man, look, I'll answer you. So I'll answer your question in a sec because you kind of get the feeling when people aren't going to buy a knife, they just want a, a tip on how to make something. So, you know, be aware, everyone. Let let the spread spread the joy. Let, let everyone get in and have a look. Uh, but don't don't be that person that, you know, when they walk away, everyone goes, I hope that person doesn't come back to my table. Look, I think it's perfectly fine for other knife makers to come to your table. But if you're a person who's making knives or if you're in the process of making your own knives, please be honest and tell up front. Because that yeah, person... Yeah, that's the person I'm referring to, not another maker, yeah. but a, a yeah. hobbyist or a new maker. Hobbies. Yeah, don't be like, after touching half an hour last good, and like, yeah, then at the end, you know, I'm recognized by myself, I'm recognized too, and point out this phone, and like, no, 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 don't fucking waste anybody's time. If, if you want to talk knife making, come to the show after lunch on Sunday. I guarantee you, everybody's got all the time in the world. Yeah, that's it. We're generally walking around looking for things to do and annoying and other makers, yeah. buying our, spending all of our hard-earned uh, with Corin and, and other vendors out there. And, you know, and then that's the time which we do like to establish a bit of that social network. And that's that's absolutely fine. But I tell you, if you're at my table and it's, you know, 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning and the place is choppers and you're starting to ask me about heat treating on 1084 because... You've only got a butane torch. I'm not really going to be happy about having that conversation. Or, or another thing with like handling knife is, so I'm a cooking knife. Somebody comes in and holds the knife. That's fine, but don't try to see like flex it, okay? Or don't <laughs> try to put on my table and see how it feels on the rock chopping or push cutting. My tablecloth is full of fucking cuts. Those partners <laughs> coming in, and like some some of them like hold the knife and they start like chopping the, my table. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like if you're a hunter, if you're a hunter, would you take a hunting knife and fucking stab the leather that's on your table? Like, oh, I'm a hunter. I want to see how it goes. If you had leather on your, t if you had leather on your table, people would do it. <laughs> they, they will. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what cracks me up and is so disrespectful is going to the fine food show for the KAA because the, the Knife Art Association goes to shows to promote its own shows. And Mert and some of the guys are there and they're cutting up potato and putting it out and just showing people how the knives cut so people can have a go and they're letting people use these knives. The funniest thing is the people that are so rude, they push to the front of the crowd, grab a handful of raw potato and shove it in their mouths before they even realise what it is, thinking it's free food that they're people <laughs> that were giving away. And it, Mert, is that not the funniest it shit? It usually happens after lunch. So fine food show like there's, so you sign up and you get little gauntlet or small wine glass and, and you do your wine tasting. Usually the mornings are not bad, but every stand is offering like free samples and things and we cut potatoes, okay? And people grab him, we tell them it's potato and some of them are half shit face and some of them are like semi and they're like, yeah, I know. And like, Okay, eat it then. 
And some people say, can I get one more? And at that point, I'm like, sure, fam, don't, don't say that. I'll, I'll cut a, sometimes you're like, hang on, hang on, I'll cut a fresh one for you. There you go, man, fresh one. And then, then they eat. some of them come back, oh, it's potato. No shit, it's fucking potato. Told you. I thought it was for eat. It is, it is hilarious, man. I've got to tell you, like, it's one of those things where, um, as Merck correctly said, as the day goes on, you know, people that are coming past are just getting wobblier and wobblier. And at, at a certain point, we have to move the knives off the front table because it's just like, fuck, someone's going to get hurt. But it's just being respectful. It's just not being a dick. You know, if, if you want to take something off someone's table and stick it in your mouth, how's about asking first? I don't find those potato guys as disrespectful as the ones who grab a knife and instead of like looking and seeing if it's how it feels in the hand whatsoever, like they go automatically to stabbing action. Like they go into mid-air stabbing action. Like then they start making noise. Like they, they feel like they're knife fight. And you, the first thing like, please put the knife on my table. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what Kevin Cashin, and I, I don't think it's his term, but he introduced me to the term mall ninja. Yeah. And I, I think it really applies to those people. So yeah. the other thing is um, you mentioned flexing the blade, but look, let's just put it out there, touching the, the steel, touching the blade. Yeah, right. Uh, look, I can understand to a degree people might want to touch that blade um, to see, you know, when you explain to them, I do a convex grind or I do a flat grind on certain hunters. Um, there's that, there's that urge to touch it, which, you know, I make most of my knives are carbon steel. They're, they're, they're subject to, uh, acidic fingerprints and whatever spittle when people talk to you. And it irks me a bit when people touch the blades, but I always have the oil and the cloth there ready to go. If you know they're doing it and you watch them do it, you just pick it up and wipe the blade down and continue talking and grit your teeth and smile. Um, I, I set up quite often next to Mert. Um, I may or may not have influence on the guy organising the tables to always be next to Mert. <laughs> but I, I observe some of these guys with Mert. And I'll, I'll let Mert talk to you about how people pick his knives up, but I'll quite often sit there and just like, realize i'm staring at these people eyes wide open watching what they're doing and i can sense mert uh is not particularly happy but what's your thoughts on the, the fiddlers mert uh look and they are sharp so some of the knives on the shows are not sharp it's not a bad thing like if you have a if you have a bushcraft knife you don't expect it to be razor sharp maybe or if you have an axe it's not going to be as sharp, but you tell people it's sharp and they still push their thumbs on the edge. You're like, don't do it. And the reason I said about semi the, the, the flexing is I have semi on my table. If you flex them too much, they'll bend and they'll still bend. They stay bent. I'll have to manually bend him back to the straight position. And one, I think it was the last per show, the guy was, the guy put the knife on the, the face of the knife on the tablecloth and start bending from the handle. I said, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, I'm a chef. And I said, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Is it your knife? Like, but I'm a chef. Like, I really don't give a fuck whatever you do for a living. So don't ask, ask for like, you don't have to fucking flex it to get an idea of what the knife does. And, and the and other one that gets me is, don't don't shave parts of your fucking body with my knife. Yeah. Oh fuck that. If you yeah. want to shave, if you want to no. shave with a person's knife, fork the cash over first, 
and then do what you damn well please. But I hate it when people come to my table and they roll their sleeve up and they get my knife and it's like, are you fucking for real, dude? Like, honestly, you're going to fucking shave yourself? And I've had people do it and they shave and they've cut themselves and I'm like, fuck, man, you could just DNA that fucking knife. You buy it now. It's a fucking crime scene. <laughs> You've turned my knife into a crime scene. Could you put fucking a coronavirus all over it, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> the other one is what? kids. If, we're happy to have people bring kids to shows, but, you know, our knives are sharp. And if your kid picks up a knife and we always put our signs out and say, these knives are sharp, please ask before handling. Don't let your kids come up and touch the knives. Honestly, like grab them, pull them back, whatever you got to do, discipline the, the, the kids. Uh, because if they fucking cut themselves, we're going to feel bad, but it's not going to be our responsibility. Yeah. I'll give a small tip. Okay, so what um, what I've been doing right now is the front, I'll have like a few tiers, as in I'll have like a one layer of knives at the very front. I'll have a second one, and I'll have the one closest to myself. I'll put the carbon or the high-value items close to myself. Yeah. So if I see like a little young kid trying to reach for it, I might say, Mike, don't touch it. What I yeah. do is stainless or the cheaper knives I've been putting in the very front. So yeah, you need a, like a yeah. horse riding crop. So as the hand comes across, you can just whip it out. <laughs> Whack. Get back. Don't touch. <laughs> Look, Perth was great. Like, Perth was great. The overall level of the punters who were attending, there was great. A lot of people were asking if they could. But one guy, so I'm talking to I'm talking to a person. I don't. I think the person was trying to order custom or we were talking about something. And the guy with the camera comes in and he puts one of this camera gear on top of my knives and says one second. And he says one second and gets between me and the guy. And like he's taking the pictures and I said, mate, mate, what are you doing? And he said, I'm a professional photographer. I'm like, no, you're not. Um, I said, he said, oh, is it, is it okay if I take picture? I said, it's okay for you to take picture, but the whole, the, concept, the, con the sequence of the shit's going on wrong. First, you come to somebody's table, and if you hear, if you see them talking to a person, you wait. I said, you wait, and you ask them if, if they can take a picture. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, it's a, I'm a professional photographer. It's a habit. I said, that's a bad habit. And yeah. I, I, picked, I picked up a shit. I, I gave it to him. I said, I don't even like, he started at the moment, he, he put his phone out, and he showed me the Instagram account with some dickhead photography with the 20 followers. I'm like, no, no, bro, I don't, I don't give a fuck that. You might have a professional photographer. You're not a professional photographer, I can tell you. If this is your profession, then you're shit. You're, you're done. You're in the wrong profession. Fuck yeah. He, he left, hey, he, he as left a, the table. As a, as a little tangent to that, let's hope it wasn't Michael Mazian. <laughs> but, nah. um, have you, like, Michael's photography at the moment, uh, fuck, that's taken a big step in the right direction, hasn't it? That's especially following the the um, Sharp by Coop stuff in Sydney. Now, I see your barrel knife was just one of the ones that recently came up, Corey. Uh, was he going to there? Yeah, I was pretty happy. Is it under Australian Knife Photography? Uh, on Facebook, yeah. yeah. But I've put it up on my Instagram yeah. and um, yeah, it's there. So Mert might show it to the, might share it to the podcast page. How many followers have we got on Instagram podcast? Oh, now, look, with, I've, been, I've been bad with the podcast page. I haven't updated for a while. Oh, I think no. we're up to like a... Fucking so unprofessional. Fuck, mate. I, I'm going to take a fucking selfie and post it and say, 
Felt, <laughs> when I want a felt, selfie. Yeah, felt, felt shoot might delete it later. Okay, I'm going to post some stuff. Sorry, guys. Duck lips. you got to have duck lips. Duck lips. I'll put the quokka yeah. lips. I'll put the quokka <laughs> That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I posted the picture. I'm like, this shit looks familiar. So the, the, the picture I took on the beach and sun was coming to my eye. Like I was kind of squinting. Then I looked at the picture. I looked like a quokka. The Western Australian rodent. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, classic. No, good shit. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, listeners out there, please, um, I'm going to throw it in here. Just uh, make sure you leave us a review and uh, five star and let everyone know who we are and, and share us because it's kind of makes, you know, I think we're up to 16 followers now or something. But, you know, if we can get a few more, that'd be great. And, um, uh, yeah, put us up on your on your social media and feel free to share anything with us that you want to share us to share on our social media because well we need to populate it as well. So we're just a bit well we're just a bit fucking lazy, really. Yeah, we just yeah we get into it. There's there's peaks and drops, more drops than peaks. <laughs> but, you know, those people who have listened to more than one episode probably get that. That's that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty. It was pretty good at um, uh, pretty good at Perth. I think seven listeners came up and spoke to me. Yeah. All seven of them. Yeah. So that was pretty good. But no one said hello to me. Fuck you. Nah, you're just the, you're just that guy. Oh, just the fucking <laughs> just the yeah. Three's a crowd. Yeah. Right? And, and it was like, oh, you love the episode. Where's Kev? Like, I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that fucker's not here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, fuck you, Kevin. Yeah, well, I'll hear that a fair bit. <laughs> Not just from Mert, let me tell you. No, but look, honestly, it's um, it's been a pretty good ride, the podcast. Now we're up to 20 episodes and, you know, we've, uh, we're have internationally famous thanks to Swabsy and, uh, yeah, look, it's coming along. So if there's anything you guys would like us to discuss or talk about, if you like anything about the show or, or want us to include anything more, you just tell us what you like and... And uh, it'll give us a bit of a bit of guidance on where to go. It's uh, yeah, much appreciated. Any any comment, any feedback, good or bad, are uh, greatly appreciated. So, um, Corin, yeah. one one comment we got over and over, and especially like uh, another listener uh, sent it recently. Drolstein three six one was saying, "Fix the audio, guys." So, for those who don't know, we are at the process of changing the way we record things. Hopefully, going on from this episode on, we'll have a lot better recording. So we're working, we're working on uh, fixing the audio issues. We're trying yeah, to make it listening. as professional as we can. Yeah. At least, at yeah. least with in in a not very professional kind oh, of way. Look, yeah. they never expect us to be John Laws or something. It's not going to happen. I was about to say, at least with audio quality, we'll get a little bit better. The content's going to remain yeah. the same. I'm sorry, that's just us. Yeah, if you don't like, if you don't like that, just fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we love you, but there's the door. Yeah, we do want you to be able to hear us though, and we have let you down there, so you know, sorry about that. So, but yeah, at the end of the day, as as Mert said, we've we've made a few changes. Um, we're doing our own editing now, so we'll hopefully be able to um, spend a bit more time on getting the audio where it needs to be. Uh, we just really took it a bit casual at the start, and. Uh, yeah, if you could let people know that the audio is getting better, that that would maybe bring back a bring back three or four of the other listeners that have left us. But anyway, that's okay. It's all good. Yeah. So, um, Matt, you got any tips? Tip of the week? Anything you want to share? Oh, 
So I have a I have a question actually. <laughs> what was that little shiver or something? Oh man, I I did something dumb this week, so I was just thinking about that. I'll... Tell us what you did, Mert. Share the share Come the on, story. Man. Share the glory. We won't judge. Share the glory. We won't judge. No. Okay, I will. So, Kev, you know the dodgy drill I have, drill press, and it was yes. really going slow because the belt belt was fucked, and I got new belt and I changed the gears. Now it's running so fucking fast. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, so fast, and it's nice. Like drill shit so easy, and just before the night show prep, I'm like realize i'm short one handle i need to make a handle i had a little uh, bronze piece i'm trying to do a bronze spacer and this was like a fairly rectangular looking thing i just held it and i put a little pine so it so it doesn't drill the table and i just turned it on and the drill bit caught the bronze and just fucking flipped and open my open my thumb open my palm open my <laughs> finger and just got stuck and why is that so funny <laughs> <laughs> and i said fucking dickhead like i i know better than that this is not the first time i drill metal i, I don't know for some fucking reason with the i didn't even secure it anything i just held it in my hand and decided to drill it so tip of the week if you're drilling anything that's going to cut you just Secure it with clamps, with something, so it doesn't turn into a fucking helicopter blade and chop your dick or your fingers off. Okay, so that's the tip of the. <laughs> or your dick, or your dick fingers. <laughs> oh, dick fingers. <laughs> yeah, that's, just that's a fucking hell. That's a helicopter of death. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good tip for people. Um, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I I drilled many metal pieces before, and I always clamp him, or or sometimes I do like a, I get a little balsa. I put the metal and then I put the metal on top of a pine and I clamp them all of it. So it's like a sandwich. So it goes with balsa and it's all clean and all. But I don't know. For some reason, I didn't even think. I was like, oh, drill. Let me drill it and then fucking cut myself. Well, it's the sort of thing I do. Fucking yeah. just walk over the drill press. Too fucking lazy. She'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there you go. The rest is The rest is blood in the emergency room. Oh, oh, this wasn't glue. as bad. It, it was yeah, super glue. Yeah, in super glue we trust. Super glue, yeah. It's our friend. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll um, my tip of the week relates to the bruise and cut above my left eye, and that is uh, <laughs> use punch lube. <laughs> and and don't punch. I was punching under the power hammer, so don't punch all the way down, so that your the tip of your punch gets um upset. Uh, that was another thing. And cool your punch regularly because I another mistake was that I'd set the hole. A couple of times, just on the first heat, and I had never cooled the punch when I when I went for uh, the um, right. after I'd set the hole. So yeah. yeah, punching under a power hammer is a little bit tricky to get started. So anyway, those three things led to uh, led to uh, well, the rest was history, really. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, concussion. Yeah. <laughs> What's your tip? What's yours, Kev? Well, actually, mine probably not so much a tip, but I I um I, I invested in a little set of tools. Um, I bought a, a set of the um, diamond sanding jiggers from Ross Arnold. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar. Go and have a look at Ross Arnold. What was his uh, forge thing? Uh, we'll, we'll put something up on the on the Facebook page or something. But Ross Arnold makes these um, sanding bars, and you know, I, I've decided to buy a set just to really test them out and see how they go. Um, and then I, I found them to be really good in terms of. 
getting a nice finish quite fast. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at it, I bought the whole set, which was, you know, reasonable investment. I think there's four bars, it's like 400 bucks, but I think it guarantees them for something like five years. It's a, it's a crazy um, investment uh, uh, assurance that you're going to do it. Uh, but yeah, from my, my time in the workshop when I was using them, um, I don't think they're going to replace Rhino Wet. I think they will um, like work as a really good comp complementary tool to to Rhino Wet. Um, but you know, I was quite happy. Uh, I think I was watching Ian Stewart when he was talking about getting a professional finish and flatness of stuff, and he uses diamond stones and all bits and pieces on there. Uh, and I got this set, um, and it does show up even using a disc where you can get some little high and low spots um, on there. So uh, so I use those. Um, you got to use a heap of um, lubricant and stuff. So it was a much messier process than I find with the sandpaper, but it, it was reasonably fast to get up to a, um, you know, a finish where then I was happy to switch over and start using Rhino Wet. The other ones which I'll be using uh, in the next, hopefully between now and the next podcast, I bought a set of your... Polishing Stones Corrin from, from Gamaco. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to Cole recently, and uh, he was singing their praises, especially for using use on steel like S35BN. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen to get them out of the box and uh, start working with them as well and see see how they go. And I guess basically... So on the... Su yeah, on, I was just going to say... On the subject... Yeah. Go. Go for it. I was just going to say, go. just, you know, don't always think that... Just fucking with you. I'm going to go. Yeah, okay. Don't always stick to one product. There's plenty of things out there to work. Go, Corin. <laughs> oh yeah, no worries. We uh, we did the test on the uh, on Russ, Ross Arnold's products um, after Adelaide show. We bought a couple of sets, and the guys have been using them, and the, the feedback's been really good. Same thing. Uh, they certainly have a, a really good place, and um, uh, you know, honestly, I, I'd like to do a bulk buy on them. Uh, I think because Ross is bringing in the stuff in small quantities and doing small batch machining and the prices are high. I reckon if we got enough makers together, we could do a, we could give him an order for, you know, three or 400 or something. I don't know. And then maybe the price would come down a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, so I reckon we should look at I'd like to, like to do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's something we should talk about over on the bolt buy page, Gamaco's bolt buy page on Facebook. If you're interested in that. Um, the other thing is those polishing stones. I've been using Kemet stones for, like very early on in my days of knife making, I got onto Kemet stones and I use stones on every blade. Um, they're really, uh, they're really nice to use. They're really good. They're easy to put radiuses on to get into plunge lines. Um, you can just take them over to a ceramic belt and dress them when they start to wear and uh, yeah, soak them in oil. They sort of self lube once you've got them oiled up enough. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the of the stones, and that's why I was pretty happy to sell them. And we're selling the True Grip ones. They are a nice product. They're fairly decent size, so you've got quite a few dresses on them. Like you can dress them up quite a few times. And um, yeah, I, I like them. I, I mean, I use sandpaper as well, but every knife I've ever made has been on the stones at some point. Yeah, I think with the three of them, uh, you'll find your happy medium in terms of what you're going to get the best out of. Uh, in terms of like I found. Um, the lower grit stuff with the 150 grit or 120 or 150 of Ross Arnold's, that really, that chewed in through the steel. And you know, even I was quite surprised 
I got a fairly steady hand, especially on the disc grinder. And I, I, I put it on there and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is why it takes me so long to sand with paper to get these marks out because they might be 0.1 of a millimetre deep. You got to take the rest of that surface area of your blade down to get to that. So I found those stones there. And talking to Cole, I'm real keen now to see, especially the high grit stones on the polishing, um, especially with Hamons and stuff on there. I think that'll work quite well. So mm -hmm. less less of a tip and more of a minor product review. Well, we might have a look at, like I said, running a group by potentially, uh, maybe get in touch with Ross and see what he th thinks about that, whether he's up for, you know, potentially doing a, a big batch. They're really... Oh, already already, already in front of you there, oh, Kev. Fuck. By Corrin is already in front of you. I've been speaking to Ross in, no, since November and it kind of fell by the wayside, but I'd, I'm very keen to, to see something happen and he was keen as well. It was just, you know, life got in the way, I think. I, got, I went on leave after... Um, after the Adelaide show, I was on leave December and January, so yeah, um, yeah it just never happened. But it, it could easily happen, so if you want that, give us a shout-out, contact us on social media, make a comment on our social media posts, and let us know. Yeah, awesome. And uh, you'll, so. you'll obviously uh, insert somewhere in the podcast any of the latest Gamaco incentives to buy ship. Well, rather than, rather than do that, I'm just going to put a bit of a shout-out there for... Um, the changes that have happened at Gamaco, we are going to put in some more specials and get back to it. But I just want everyone to be aware that um, Phil Marks, uh, after three years with Gamaco, has left the left the building. He's gone on to pursue a, pursue his primary love, which is um, his Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, trying to make a business of painting his miniatures. So if you're interested in having some miniatures painted for your Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, get in touch with Phil. I'm sure he'd be very, uh, very happy to help. He's, he's, uh, uh, we wish him all the best with that. Um, and Rob Morton, who came to us from Tandy Leather, has uh, has moved on to back into the leather industry uh, with Eco Leather, uh, a wholesaler of leather. Um, so yeah, those two guys have have uh, basically moved on. So there's been some restructuring happening here. It shouldn't affect anyone's orders or anything like that. Our warehouse is is uh, catching up at the moment but doing quite well but basically joe brunetta from Gooball knives who's worked with us for a while his uh and he's been picking up his confidence levels and getting better and better uh, joe's moving over to fill a customer service role um, in artisan supplies from administration here and uh, another guy that works in administration here doing invoicing which is uh, tim ford Tim is a very accomplished knife maker, been making knives for, um, you know, probably more years than he hasn't been in his life, um, and he's only 19, uh, 18. Um, he's, uh, he's if, if you know him, he makes beautiful kitchen knives. He's moving across to handle our, uh, our shows and organisation for shows and uh, as well customer service. Uh, so those two guys will have a full complement in the artisan supplies. And those two guys are both experienced knife makers. Joe's been making knives for 20 years. Uh, he lacked a little bit of confidence at first. He's never worked in customer service, but he's really getting pretty good. And um, he's a great guy. So uh, yeah, if you if you need anything, you don't 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 be afraid to hit those guys up. And um, hopefully there won't be much of a glitch. But we should have be back into promotion mode shortly. I've only been back in the office for for a week, so still catching up. But we'll be back into promotion mode shortly, and that's the changes. Yeah, awesome stuff, man. Um, yeah, Phil, see you fucking later, mate. <laughs> yeah. 
Rob, good on you, mate. We'll uh, be in touch at some stage in the near future, I'm sure. Need a new uh, leather paddle for the whipping room. Pants, pants with the chicks exposed. Yeah, <laughs> mate. I tell you, I tell you what. We joke about that. We joke about that. But if you want to make money in the leather industry, that's where it's at. Yeah. We at the end of the Perth show, I I've made a call out because I didn't want to bring the leather back, so I sold the leather off cheap that we had there. Uh, and um, yeah, a couple of people came over and bought some and uh, proudly showing off all their floggers and ankle restraints and stuff that they make and. Yeah, it's all a bit fucking wow out there, but you know, all power to them, eh? You got to get your got to get your rocks off somehow. <laughs> That's it. Uh, what have we got coming up? We got the um, symposium. I don't think that's booked out yet. That's in March. Uh, Kyle Royer is coming down to that, so well worth. Symposium's not booked out, no. And yes, Kyle Royer lands uh, around the beginning of March and um, I'll be giving him the tour of Sydney and taking him up into the bush and getting him lost and all the wonderful things that I do when we bring out the international guests. Yeah. That'll, be, that'll be fun. Yeah, that's Introduce good. him to drop bears and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the odd brown snake. Following the symposium, we've got the masterclass, which is booked out. Um, and I'm going to be hanging out at that, taking a few notes and maybe write up something about it as well. Um, and then following that whole thing, we've got in the first weekend in April, the Queensland Knife Show at Ipswich at their new convention centre. Um, and like we were saying earlier, let's let's kick Perth's ass, Queenslanders. Let's, let's get 2,500 people through the door. Um, and anyone that's still on the fence about getting a table there, you know, we've talked about a few things to do with going to knife shows and stuff. Jump in, take the plunge, come along. You'll be you'll be looked after. We'll we'll guide you through. Mm. We'll take care of you. And there are there are definitely places left for the symposium. If anybody hasn't got their spot yet, um, for sure follow it on Facebook and learn what the symposium is because it's one of the best knife events in Australia. Uh, you know, it covers the pro entry fee might seem a little high, but remember it covers all your food. Your um, camping on site uh and and everything else that we do for the symposium and you know obviously first-hand contact with some of the best knife makers in the world over the years we've had uh you know bill burke kevin cashin we've had rodrigo sofredo and um sean mcintyre and uh now we got um uh, kyle royer who's a stand-up bloke so yeah, yeah all good and you got you got pretty much um some of the top tier of the local knife makers parting their information which, uh, you know, there's a couple of things I'm really looking forward to sneaking in and having a look at, that's for sure. No question about it. None at all. Well, well, well worth it. Consider it an investment. You know, that's, that's yeah. you've got to look at some of these things. If you, Like most businesses and most sort of things where, even hobbies where you want to continue, you've got to, you've got to put something into it, get stuff out of it. The Melbourne Knife Show is coming up. How good's that? So that's uh, the, the Guild Show. The Guild Show is a small event mainly guild members uh the quality of the work there is usually very high the numbers through the door whilst not the same as knife art association the numbers through the door are very high in high-end collectors so there's a lot of knives sold per person at the guild show so it's actually a really good show to go to to get really good advice on knife making because the guild guys are fantastic and to get some feedback on your work or whatever if you do that on a sunday uh, the sunday show at after lunch at the guild show is uh is a really good time to do that 
but it's a really fantastic, uh, really fantastic show to attend as a first-time maker to get feedback from the other guys as well. If you're a member of the guild, if you're not a member of the guild, you have to ask yourself why not. They're about to go forward in leaps and bounds. The guild has been spending a long time being uh, being reasonably not proactive, except for the knife camp, which is run every year and is probably the most underrated event in the Australian knife calendar. The Guild is, is a really great support network of makers and it's, it's one of those things, when you're a member of the Guild, it's your responsibility to help other people and help other Guild's people and to, uh, to promote the Guild and that's, it's a really good supportive group. It's kind of been sort of touted as a secret society but that's a load of crap, it's just a bunch of guys that have been recognised for their work. You can't just join the Guild, you have to show people that you can make a good quality knife so you have to go through an assessment process maybe we can talk about that in another episode and how that works but it's just about having people who are members of the guild are of a known standard and and they're not just talkers they're doers you know yeah that's it they're 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 continuing to to put into the knife making community like i said a lot of it is that mystery behind it i guarantee it's not some secret sort of masonic society where we're wearing you know big hats and robes and doing secret handshakes just people that are busy we do whack each other with paddles it's, yeah that's 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 in the uh secret room uh but we do get there everyone that does it like i said it's a volunteer thing and everyone's busy most people have jobs and then do the knife making stuff as a sideline so you know take that into account before you go and judge people too harshly that um, there's heaps of shit going on and it affects everyone's lives so some stuff doesn't happen as fast as other stuff and there's reasons for it. So if you're interested, jump on um, to the Guild site. I think it lists who the state reps are. Contact the state reps or contact um, someone in the admin and have a chat to them about it. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I'm fully getting into prep mode for Blade. I haven't booked my ticket yet, but we're just oh. putting together an itinerary. So if there's anyone in America that wants to like show us their workshop, <laughs> you can get in touch now. <laughs> We'll, we'll be going through California and Atlanta and we're probably heading over to Oklahoma and um, Texas. So that's um, that's probably our itinerary. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll be in Chicago and Atlanta. So I'll be there in two weeks. We'd love to catch up and well, visit some peeps. I hope you survive Chicago, mate. Should be all right. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be doing Atlanta and then uh, my usual travels around with uh, Bill Burke and the posse doing funny stuff, drinking whiskey and shooting guns. Yeah, yeah. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be in the pit. Keep an eye out for us. We're going to have be the ones that never get the shit together enough to organise a fucking T-shirt, Knife Making Down Under podcast T-shirt. We need that fucking done, boys. Yeah. If anybody has a cool design that they can submit... By all means, even if it's just a sketch or an idea, we will absolutely use and claim anything you do as our own if it's good. Yeah, we've had a couple of <laughs> we've had a couple of submissions. They've been a little, little bit, <laughs> a little bit left field, let's say. <laughs> but we, we we're happy to say anything, even if it just gives us a laugh. That's good. So anyway, good. Um, I, I want to give a shout out. Yeah, you know, we our, our expanse is broadening. Uh, and I got a contact from a fella on Instagram saying that he was enjoying our podcast. And I, I checked out his profile and found out that he's over from uh, overseas. 
we asked I asked this question if you Sweden was it with the blue flag with the yellow cross uh, yes <laughs> he is from Sweden, Sweden. he uh, I, I went and followed him I followed him on Instagram and prepared him for your pronunciation <laughs> yeah. he had a he had a good laugh yeah. so let's go what's his name Kev? Uh, his name is nuts Connie <laughs> nuts Connie is his uh, Instagram K N U T S C O N N Y Nuts Connie Hansen, uh, and he contacted me and said he enjoyed listening to the podcast, which I found funny um, because not many people say that. Um, and then I went out to peek at his Instagram, and I, makes really nice knives, and I especially like his leather work. Like he's looking at the sheaths on there. I'm probably going to nuts if you're listening, mate. Um, thank you. I'm going to steal some ideas from your sheaths. Uh, I think they're really crisp, clean looking stuff. So. Uh, good on you for listening from overseas and, um, you know, encourage some more people to get on board, try and work out our language barriers and all the rest. But, yeah, that's my shout-out goes to Nuts Connie. Give him a follow on Instagram and uh, there you go. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, he's, he seems like a good guy. I had a look at his, at his Instagram as you recommended and... Uh, yeah, get in there and, and have a look. And thanks for listening to us from Sweden. Hey, if you're not in Australia and you listen to our podcast and you want a shout out, how's about you let us know? Because, um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, we're talking into open space here. It'd be nice to get some um, nice to get some feedback and, and hear what you like and don't like. Yeah. Can I do a shout out? You can do a shout out. I'm going to. I'm going to shoot out. I'm going to shout out three people because on account of we've had these changes here. The first one is a guy by the name of uh, Tim Ford. So I'm just going to shout out my own employees rather uh, ra- rather shamelessly. Timmy! And Timmy, as we like to call him. And he goes under Ford Forged on Instagram. He's got a lovely post of him um, sitting, staring out to sea, buried up to his neck in the sand. Not too sure what that's all about. But the rest of his posts are pretty awesome knife-making related showing the, the, the work that he does. So definitely get in. Ford Forge. He's probably trying to work out how he got crabs. <laughs> we'll leave that. The next one I'm going to shout out is Cole Barrett. And if you want to know something about it, it's Cole underscore Barrett underscore BMT, which stands for Blue Mountains Tools. Cole's worked for us here for a few years now. And um, he's uh, he's a one that got a wonderfully dry sense of humor. And he's, a, he's a, just a really helpful top guy, very knowledgeable and very keen to, to supply very good quality information and he really cares about his job. So uh, really, really get in and, and, and follow Cole. Cole was recently, if you want to know more about him, I'm going to give a shout out to another podcast, which is uh, uh, Toby Fire and Steel's podcast. Cole's just spent, done an hour and something minute episode on that, which is really, really, uh, really, really good. Um, uh, you know, he did call Bruce Barnett Bruce Beamish at one point, which I'm not sure Barnett's going to like so much, but... Anyway, uh, there we go. Yeah, so Cole and uh, Toby Fire and Steel's got his new podcast. And the last one is going to be Goo Ball Knives, which I think is an interesting choice of names. But that's Mr. Joe Brunetta, Goo Ball underscore Knives. And he, he's helping us out as well. So Joe's been making knives, as I say, for 20 years. He's got, he had an original, um, you remember those original grinders that Keith Spencer used to have made in WA? Fuck, forget what they're called now, but he had one of those and he's now running much more modern stuff. But if you go through, he's just got a constant stream of knife making uh of knife making posts on his on his Instagram and he makes uh he makes some interesting knives and really nice stuff and 
yeah, he's been doing it a long time. So get in and have a look. He's got 131 followers. So let's see if we can make that 140. Fuck, let's get that up to fucking 500. Come on. Newball nice. Newball nice. Joe. He's a fucking good bloke. Joe, if you've ever... Yeah, if you, he's, he's on... Um, He's on his YouTube video. Again, Toby did a YouTube video on him some time again. Toby Fire and Steel channel on YouTube. And if you jump on and speak to uh, and, and watch that, you'll get a bit of an insight into Joe. He's got a bit of an issue with his legs. And yeah, he, he's, well, he can, he's pretty slow on his feet, put it that way. But, um, you know, he's, he hasn't let that stop him. And he was down, as I say, swinging the sledgehammer and, and forging with me uh, on the weekend and just, just having a go. So I, I give him full credit for that. Yeah, good on him. Good on him. We're going to be happy to deal with you, Joe. Just be aware, mate. I'm coming for you, brother. I'm coming for you. That's cool. it. That's I, think it. I, need, well, I think I need to do another uh, road trip up to Gabico and welcome these people into their new roles, their new positions. Yeah. It's never too late for a free lunch. Come up and have a have lunch, mate. Okay. Yeah, right. for sure. Well, guys, I would like to give a shout-out to the young maker. He was on my shop on Saturday. We, I, had a, I had a one-on-one session with him. Uh, his name is Mike Bandala, and he goes under the name Orzel Knives. Orzel uh, meaning in Polish uh, eagle, I assume. And he came in, and first thing was like, hey, I want to show one of my knives that I did. And him being a young maker, and it haven't made too many knives, I'm expecting like something decent. But what he put out was like a bushcraft knife. And, and he asked me, what was I thinking? I just noticed that I was quiet for like a 30 seconds. I just told him, it was clean as fuck. This young guy... He was he was he was learning very fast, and I'm sure you'll be seeing his work pretty soon. His his work is pretty clean, and his grind was very nice, and his fit and finish was lot lot in advanced stage than I was I was expecting. So his name is Mike Bandala. He goes under the Orzel knives, and I told him to put a bunch of shit on his Instagram because his knives are looking good. Mate, I just followed him. O R Z E L underscore knives. He's got some nice sand mice stuff up there and just really clean and tidy. Um, yeah, very clean. nice. Oh, he's burnt the pin. He's burnt the pin. He's burnt the pin. No, no, no. Seriously, though, um, his, his knives are really good. And how old how is he? How, when you say a young maker, how old do you reckon he is? I think he was like 21 or 20 or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, geez, he's doing some clean grinds. Yeah. And his finish was very nice. Like, he showed me a satin finish. He said it was on the 600 grit, but it was very clean 600. So it looked even a lot nicer yeah. than that. So I was pretty impressed. No, fair call, mate. Fair call. Yeah, some regrind work there. Yeah, the only thing I can see is that burnt pin on one of his knives. But other than that, everything else is... Yeah, he'll um, work that shit out pretty quickly. spectacular. Yeah. We've all burned a pin. Up oh, yeah. We've all done that. So there we go. Very good. No, no, no. Fuck, great. He's certainly, he's certainly far more advanced than I was in knife making when I was 21. I was putting my first sort of... Um, pathetic handles on blanks back then, so yeah, very good. All power to him, doing a great job. Yeah, that's it. They look good. Right, I think we've covered pretty much everything there, fellas. Um, yeah. Oh, did we have any questions from our from our customer base? Our, our, our feedback from our listeners. Oh, we had a one shop question. We know. Yeah. One um, demon iron. He's asking us how tempering affects steel. He's asking in regards like the lower temperature versus higher temperature. Which one of you guys want to oh, tackle okay. it? Well, that's, I'll do it. If yeah, you yeah. Do. go for it. 
Okay, so I've talked before on the steel episode, we talked about quenching and forming martensite, which is a, a crystal or a crystal structure of, of steel. It's the very hard crystal structure of steel. So when we form martensite, the steel's under a terrible amount of internal stress. And in fact, we can take a blade and by hand we can snap it. You guys have done that, I take it, at some point in your lives, just taken a blade, tapped it on the bench or, yeah. or just given it a bend straight after quench and snapped it? Yep, yep, I've done yep. it. Yep. What we do when we temper is we convert um, that, some of that martensite over to what's called tempered martensite. And in doing so, we remove the brittleness, the glass hardness that is in the steel, and we make it tougher. So a low tempering temperature will only convert some of it over to tempered martensite or convert it all over a little bit to all over to, to uh, slightly tempered martensite. And then we still have a very hard blade but it's not tough, you'll break that blade, which is fine if you're making a high-end kitchen knife designed to cut tomatoes. Mert might make a blade that's 63, 64 Rockwell. But if you did that on a bushcraft knife, expect that knife to blade, that, that blade to break as soon as you had, put it under hard use. For a knife that we want to put under hard use, we temper at a higher temperature that converts it to um, a much tougher form of martensite. And in fact, it's... Um, you, that that can be turned into so tough that you can use it as a spring and repeatedly bend it without it breaking as in a car leaf spring. Unfortunately, when you get to that level, it's super, super tough, but it's not actually very hard. So its edge retention goes down. However, if you're making a tool like a golok or a, or a, or a machete, uh, the last thing you want to do is to chop into a tree and the blade break. You just, you want it to be easy field sharpenable and super, super tough. And for that, You'll temper to a lower to a higher temperature, which will lower the lower the hardness and super increase the toughness, and that's basically tempering in a nutshell. Uh, depending on the steel you've got, is the temper temper temperature that you're going to use. So you need to go and uh, and research the steel that you've got, and I mean known steel, uh, and determine what temperature to temp at for the hardness level you think you need. If you want to make a high-end kitchen knife, it's not uncommon for people to go into the 60s, the low 60s. If you want to make a bushcraft knife, it's common to go 50 to 60 Rockwell, so that you've got um, 58 to 60 Rockwell, so you've got really good hard edge, uh, edge retention for carving and whatnot, but it's going to be a bit brittle, not tough. And for a tough blade, you'd probably drop down to 50 Rockwell, 45 to, to 55 Rockwell. That fair enough, guys? Is there anything you want to add? That's Data pretty much sums it up. Yep. All right. So there you go. If you how that how the mechanism of tempering really works is all part of the voodoo of steel. But there's some great information put out there, particularly by a guy by the name of Kevin Cash, and we've said his name before. Um, and uh, there are plenty of there's, there's forums out there that just specialize in knife steels. And also, I don't know. Time, so you can Gordon, get I don't know if you heard the name Laren Thomas. He's the son of. Devin Thomas and he has his PhD in uh, metallurgy. He has a website dedicated to uh, also knife steel and knife steel related questions. That would be knife steel nerds. Knife steel yeah. nerds, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. an awesome site. Yeah. yeah, definitely get in and have a check that one out as well. He's uh, he's coming along in the industry and um, making a name for himself there as well. So, you know, it's uh, all respect to what he's what he's doing and is. The way that he describes things is, uh, as with Kevin Cashin, is quite simple to understand for the layman. There's no easy way to put it because 
it's a very complex steel is a very very complex subject and the way that alloying elements affect it, it it's not easy but that's based we can talk in general and basic terms and those guys uh, can talk about very difficult subjects in a way that's not difficult for the layman to understand if you if you start from the beginning exactly right Right. that's that's uh, a couple of hours of people's lives they'll never get back thank you everyone for listening we do appreciate it um give us give a, us a review a, please give us a review give us a, give us a listen like i said we're working on improving the quality of the the sound especially um let us know what you think um and uh we look forward to you guys joining us for a listen next time awesome sounds great guys righto that's, that's right. a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. All right, boys. Bye-bye, Bye-bye, everybody, and have a good one. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Talk to you guys soon.